Yeah, I, I am. Uh, I met him 15 years ago. I, I was told there was nothing left. No reason, no uh, conscience, no understanding, and even the most rudimentary sense of life or death, of good or evil, right or wrong. I met this six-year-old child with this blank, pale, emotionless face and the blackest eyes, the devil's eyes. I spent eight years trying to reach him and then another seven trying to keep him locked up because I realized that what was living behind that boy's eyes was purely and simply evil. Sir, this is a Wendy's. Thanks to John Cleaver for introducing me to that meme. That's that's just great. It's appropriate since this episode is going to be up on the 31st, the day of Halloween. This is Mackenzie Lambert, your host for Mac and the Movies, where I look at everything from art house to grindhouse. Today we are finishing up our look at the Halloween series, Sans the Rob Zombie Movies. I'm going to be reviewing Halloween H2O, Halloween Resurrection, the 2018 Halloween Retcon, and the recently released, as well as quite divisive, Halloween Kills. And a new installment of the three tenors. After these semi-serious horror movies, we need some laughs. John and I will be going through the list of Rob Hill and ours for comedy horrors slash horror comedies. Uh, just to give you a heads up, John borders on having an existential crisis. Okay, without further ado, let's get into the movies. Oh, and uh, spoilers. Nothing to fear. The coast is clear. Nothing's missing. They did a real number on your office. My office? Oh, there's crap everywhere. Got mail. Birthday card. It's only two months late. I'm impressed. Cash is good. I'm gonna need it when I go to Yosemite. I'm not going. No, I'm going to Yosemite. No, you're not. Look, I know today is the day, but I think... Oh, really? We'll... What day is that, John? Halloween. Oh, I hadn't noticed. through with all that. There's a strange car parked down at the gate, but I can't seem to find any signs of trespassing. What are you doing? Hey. I'm just gonna go find John.
Halloween H2O opens with a scene in Langdon, Illinois. Dr. Loomis's nurse, Marion, comes home and sees her house was broken into. Scared, she goes next door and asks two kids to check on the house with her. With no intruder present but some ransacking, Marion sends the kids off and goes in. She finds the file on Lori's throat has been discovered. Marion is soon murdered along with the two boys next door by Michael Myers. For the last 20 years since the events of Halloween 2, Lori Strode has been incognito as Carrie Tate, a headmistress of a California boarding school. She lives on campus with her son, John. She still has visions of Michael Myers having not fully recovered from his attack on her. Soon, Michael finds her and begins terrorizing the few people on campus after most of the school leaves for a school trip. Here we have the first retcon in the Halloween series. The whole Thorn trilogy that really wasn't a trilogy, thankfully, is erased. It would be easier to do this instead of having to try to justify why Lori would abandon her own daughter, Jamie. Clean Slate, which could be the refreshing move the series needs. It does have the fingerprints of Scream all over it. The snarky teens, the wealth of movie references. Save for the death of Sarah, the film's kills and gore are unremarkable, being tamer than Scream. No shortage of Easter eggs for horror fans. The search for a corkscrew immediately brings Friday the 13th Part 4 to mind. The presence of Janet Lee has her quoting Sheriff Brackett from the original Halloween, driving her car from Psycho, even having a subtle music cue from Bernard Herrmann's music score for Psycho. The blade in the back nurse kill is reused from Halloween 2, but on a man. Steve Miner took on the directorial duties. This is a far cry from his stellar work on both Friday the 13th Part 2 and Part 3. Part 2 is my personal favorite of the human Jason films. Miner was brought in when Carpenter walked away when producer Mustafa Akkad wasn't going to pay the fee Carpenter requested. John Ottman and Marco Beltrami handled the music score duties. Both have done great work, but their score for Halloween H2O was underwhelming and didn't fit. The orchestral feels out of place after the synth work of both John Carpenter and Alan Haworth. Ottman was the go-to composer for director Brian Singer, working on the X-Men films and at Pupil. My favorite score of his has to be The Usual Suspects. Beltrami's work for World War Z and Logan are highlights of his career. Jamie Lee Curtis returns as Laurie Strode since 1981's Halloween 2. Her performance here would be a hint of her turn in the 2018 Halloween film. Here, she is less of a doomsday survivalist and more of a shaken survivor. Curtis joined the film under the condition that the series would end with this film, and the final scene would be a great ending. However, producer Akkad had a legal clause where Michael couldn't actually be killed. But we all know that was the case with Halloween Resurrection, unfortunately. The supporting cast is filled with various talent. Adam Arkin, Michelle Williams, Josh Harnett in his second feature film, Janet Leigh, LL Cool J, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, and Nancy Stevens reprising her role as Marion. Adam Hanbird plays the school horn dog Charlie. This is a dramatic change from his performances as young Alan Parrish in Jumanji or as a child genius in Little Man Tate. Tom Kane does a voiceover, the monologue made famous by Donald Pleasance as Loomis. In its own right, it's okay, but it's clearly not Donald Pleasance. 
why didn't they just use the actual soundbite as a head-scratcher, considering they dropped money for a CGI Michael Myers mask in one scene? Stuntman Christopher Durant took on the role of Michael Myers. He completely lacks the physical presence of either Nick Castle or Dick Warlock. Despite this seemingly definitive ending, this would not be the end of the Halloween series. While it removes the Thorn films from the canon, it falls short from having to try to incorporate screamish tropes and self-awareness. It's middling, not the atrociousness of Halloween 5 or 6, but doesn't reach the heights of the original Halloween and Halloween 3. Yes, you heard what I said. Tomorrow night, you will enter the childhood home of our most brutal mass murderer. The home has been rigged up with several cameras, but for the most part, the audience will see only what you see. Six friends. Are you sure they're not just putting us in some house with hidden cameras in the shower? This is going to be fun. Have been offered fame and fortune. That's the American dream. All they need to do, all the windows will be boarded up and all the doors will be locked shut behind them. No one will be allowed to leave until the show is over. You stay the night. Let the danger-tainment begin! Now... You think this is the one that he used to, you know, do his thing? The webcast is live. One flash and you could light up a thousand computer screens. You are like this close to getting voted off the island. The stage is set. Has anybody else seen this? Whoa! It's all fake. We've been set up. I'm only trying to give America a good show. But the house. Wait, what just happened? We just lost Bill's camera. There's somebody in the hall. Is his. Summer. How many please help us? Evil <laughs> comes home. Trick or treat, mother. Want a piece of me? Hello, Michael. I knew you'd come sooner or later. What took you so long? Halloween Resurrection opens three years after the events of Halloween H2O. Laurie Strode is committed to an asylum. Why? Because the quote-unquote Michael Myers we saw killed at the end of H2O was actually a paramedic who had his larynx crushed when Michael strangled him. The masked man decapitated wasn't Myers. For all that time Laurie waited for Michael's inevitable arrival, he does show up and ends up killing her in an anticlimactic fashion. Fast forward to 2002, a bunch of 20-somethings have been picked by Freddie Harris and Nora Winston to be part of a reality show type livestream set in the Meyer house in Haddonfield. The house is littered with cameras and props meant to add intrigue. Soon, Michael shows up and starts killing all the participants until there is only Freddie and Sarah to take out Michael. 
Halloween Resurrection, the film that put the franchise in a dormant state until five years later with the Rob Zombie films. The only thing this film has going for it is the commentary on reality TV, which by this point was beating a dead horse. Sure, Survivor was only two years old, but MTV's The Real World was ten years old. I will give credit with the tripod kill, a nice reference to one of cinema's proto-slashers slash giallo, Peeping Tom. None of the characters are even remotely interesting. Michael Myers has any sense of intimidation or notion of being a threat completely removed by the end of the film. He gets punked out by Freddie Harris. Freddie does his kung fu moves on Michael that look like they have to actually make an impact. He gets electrocuted in the balls. This might actually be the worst movie in the series. Period. Just with how Myers is handled, he's an absolute jabroni. Rick Rosenthal, the director of 1981's Halloween 2, is back as the director. Up to that point, he's the only director to come back twice. Where Halloween 2 was a product of other two successful films, Friday the 13th and Empire Strikes Back, Halloween Resurrection was a theatrical release that only deserved a direct-to-video VHS. It should just be locked away like the Ark of the Covenant. Bianca Kylik is monotone and dull as the lead character, Sarah. Nothing faces her in this movie. Imagine if Daria was in a horror movie. The film marks the second feature film performance by Kitty Sackhoff as Jen. She's hyperactive and very annoying. Fortunately, she would go on to be a genre geek's goddess, appearing in Battlestar Galactica, Robot Chicken, Longmire, and Oculus. Honestly, everyone else puts in a muted, uninspired performance. Having Tyra Banks does nothing. She doesn't even get an on-screen kill. You even forget she's in it. And then there's Busta Rhymes. I have a sneaking suspicion his character was meant to be killed off until Busta came in and changed to not only have his character live, but to also take down Myers. I've seen a few reviewers refer to his performance as entertaining. I'm sure if the movie he's in wasn't supposed to be a Halloween movie, that would be true. And that's really all I have to say about Halloween Resurrection. Moving on. I waited for him. Testing one, two, three. We're on. We're here to investigate. Patient that killed three innocent teenagers on Halloween in 1978. He was shot by his own psychiatrist and taken into custody that night. And has spent the last 40 years in captivity. Hello, Michael. I have something you might like to see. <laughs> Everyone in my family like turns into a nutcase this time of year. Yeah, I mean your grandmother is Lori Strode. She was almost murdered. Wasn't it her brother who murdered all those babysitters? No, it was not her brother. That's something that people made up. Do you know that I pray every night that he would escape? What the hell did you do that for? So I can kill him. Dad, 
Excuse me, somebody's in here. Hello? for this night. He's waited for me. I've waited for him. Get out of the room! Get inside! You don't believe in the boogeyman? He's here! Michael! You should. Can you close the closet door? Halloween 2018 opens with a duo of podcasters at Smith's Grove Sanitarium. They're working on an episode on Michael Myers. While using the actual Myers mask, they try to get a response out of him. All they do is end up making the other patients agitated. The pair leave and go to interview Lori Strode. Lori is living in solitude at a small house surrounded by barbed wire. The interview is cut short after Lori's life of unsuccessful marriages and losing custody to her child drudges up bad memories. Lori is clearly prepared for the event of when Michael comes for her. It is not a question of if. Lori's granddaughter, Allison, tries to mend the strain between Lori and Karen, Lori's daughter and Allison's mom. We learn from Karen how obsessive Lori was regarding Michael Myers and the construction of the small house and various contraptions meant to keep Michael at bay. The night before Halloween, Michael is being transported to another location. Unfortunately, Michael escapes. Not long after the podcasting couple are murdered, news reaches Lori and this puts her in a panic to protect her daughter and granddaughter. Here we have another retcon for the series. This one ignores all the sequels past the original Halloween. Despite being shot multiple times by Dr. Loomis, Michael briefly disappears before being taken into custody by Hattonfield authorities. Not saying much when I say this Halloween 2 quote-unquote blows the original Halloween 2 out of the water. I'll go into further detail in a bit on how the character development and the relationships do a great job of further building this world. The fact that both John Carpenter and Jamie Lee Curtis team up as producers, as well as their respective roles as composer and lead actress, show how much faith they had in this production. Credit to Blumhouse and Universal for giving the green light for this production. Yeah, Miramax is involved, but they can just fuck off. While the series is not known for comic relief except for the atrocious cops in Halloween 5, Danny McBride as a co-writer will have the film including hokey comedy moments. The one with the two cops talking about their lunches doesn't work and kills any tension. However, the interaction between Vicky, played by Virginia Gardner, and Julian, played by Jabrail Nantambu, had me laughing out loud. You could buy these two actually having a babysitter-child rapport. It's neat levity in a film that rarely lets up. David Gordon Green directed the film and co-wrote the film with Danny McBride. Both were heavily associated with stoner comedies and lowbrow material. 
Your Highness, Pineapple Express, and The Sitter. Yet, the concept they came up with was enough to reinvigorate John Carpenter and Jamie Lee Curtis to return. Carpenter even going so far as to praising the duo, saying they got it. Joining Carpenter for the music score duties are his son, Cody Carpenter, and his godson, Daniel Davies, the son of Dave Davies of the Kinks. After the rock and rap heavy soundscape for Resurrection, the orchestral work on H2O, and the grunge music in Curse of Michael Myers, hearing Carpenter and company deliver a superb synth score just elevates the film. Jamie Lee Curtis is amazing as Laurie Strode in this film. She embodies the notion that she wasn't a victim, she was a survivor. She had to see her best friends murdered, she lived, and she refused to live in fear having overcome that experience. This film undoes the injustices of her involvement in past movies like Halloween 2, where she had literal seconds of dialogue, or Resurrection where she was killed off in a mundane fashion. Judy Greer is a standout as the daughter of Lori. Having only seen her in lighter fare like Jurassic World and Ant-Man, she adapts well to the gritty material here. Her chemistry with Andy Matichak and Toby Huss show them as a refreshing, functional family, but sadly ignorant of the terror that awaits them. Matichak is fine as Allison, I'm sure she'll be better developed in the next film. Toby Huss is always a joy to see. Whether you know him as Artie, the strongest man in the world from the Avengers of Pete and Pete, or his on-point Sinatra impression from Vegas Vacation, he's a comedic talent that is also genre-versatile. James Jude Courtney was exactly what Michael Myers needed after the weak soft Myers is from H2O and Resurrection. I was actually terrified of him again, and seeing him kill off a young kid without hesitation raises the stakes. Nick Castle makes an appearance as Myers in a mirror reflection and does the breathing noises. Will Patton is fine as Officer Hawkins. Colin Mahan delivers credit for providing a Sam Loomis voiceover that is near pitch perfect to replicating the late Donald Pleasance. Haluk Bill Jenner as Dr. Sartain may be the one weak spot with his over-the-top accent. He feels out of place in this film with his cartoonish mannerisms. Halloween 2018 is the shot in the arm the franchise has needed since as far back as Halloween 3. Nothing between those films has caught my attention like this one did. Who knew that two comedic personalities would be the ones to give Halloween the credibility it's needed as a horror franchise? Curtis is great. Carpenter nails a top-notch music score. This may be... This may be my third favorite film in the whole franchise. I'm not going to lie. right 
the boogeyman was real. It's over. We can't hurt anyone ever again. No one told you. Told me what? Somebody in there? Michael Myers is alive. Stop! You had a knife in your stomach. You and Allison should not have to keep running. Evil dies tonight. I'm not just gonna sit and watch another innocent person die. If you track Michael's victims, that's a straight line to Michael's childhood home. What do we do? We fight. Let's hunt him down. Michael Myers is flesh and blood. But a man couldn't have survived that fire. The more he kills, the more he transcends. Run! Go home now! He's the essence of evil. Halloween Kills opens immediately after the closing of Halloween 2018. The Strode family just barely made it out in one piece. In a brief but ominous moment, Lori sees first responders going in the direction of her burning house. She shows fear that they might arrive in time for Michael to survive. Over the course of the film, we see the town of Haddonfield descend into vigilante alarmism. Early in the film, we have an extensive sequence set in 1978 in the moments after the original Halloween. We see how the events played out now that Halloween 2 is not canon. We see what Officer Hawkins experienced that was only hinted in the 2018 retcon. We see the circumstances that allowed Michael to not be killed and instead institutionalized for decades until his escape, which turned out was aided by his own doctor, Dr. Sartain. This sequence was my favorite part of the whole movie. The setting, the music, really good stuff. Seeing Tom Jones Jr. under the amazing Loomis makeup, courtesy of artist Christopher Nelson, with Colin Mahan returning from Halloween 2018 for the voiceover, may be my new favorite Exhibit A in the case of practical makeup effects over CGI effects. The whole mob justice angle struck me as a clunky commentary on social media and it was clumsily implemented. The sequence where one of the other escapees of Michael's breakout is mistaken and hunted down for Michael Myers, this is just maybe one of the dumbest things I've ever seen. Seriously, how do you mistaken this short, portly, boss hog looking guy for a tall, slim Michael Myers? That may be my biggest complaint for a film that has been wrongfully slapped with the worst movie ever label by many on social media. Like I said in my review for Halloween 3 Season of the Witch, if you think Halloween Kills is one of the worst movies ever made, then you haven't seen enough bad movies. Jack and Jill with Adam Sandler, the live-action Resident Evil movies with Mila Jovovich, 99% of faith-based films, Food Fight, In Search of Titanic, 
The Legend of Titanic, Scott Shaw Films, Ishtar, The Birdemics of the World. Watch any of those and tell me Halloween Kills is one of the worst movies ever. There was an article that went viral for all the wrong reasons, implying that Michael Myers was homophobic for killing a homosexual couple played by Michael McDonald of Mad TV and Scott MacArthur. Everyone and their grandmother called bullshit on this. Yet, no other group called out Myers as a racist for killing people of color or women calling Myers a misogynist for killing women. This was clickbait garbage that illustrated why media is such a pathetic joke these days. David Gordon Green and Danny McBride returned to their respective roles as director and writer. John and Cody Carpenter, along with Dan Davies, creates a new music score with classical bits of the original. One track, Rampage, sounds more like it belongs in Dying Light, which composer Paul Blachek was inspired by Carpenter for that game's soundtrack. Most of the cast returned from the previous film. Jamie Lee Curtis as Laurie Strode, who is featured less here. Andy Matichek as Allison gets more time as she takes on the vengeful spirit of her grandmother. Will Patton as Officer Hawkins. Uh, let's see. Then you have characters from the 1978 film return. Some with the original actors and a few with new actors. Nancy Stevens is back as Nurse Marion. Kyle Richards reprises the role of Lindsay, the girl babysat by Annie Brackett, before being put on to Laurie in 1978. Speaking of Brackett, Charles Cyphers comes back as former Sheriff Brackett in one of the film's most underutilized characters. Robert Longstreet took over for Brent LePage for the character Lonnie, the bully-turned-friend of Tommy Doyle. I single out Judy Greer. She is the reason why I had to put a spoiler warning at the beginning of this episode. I don't know for how long she was doing so, but as soon as I realized she was wearing a Christmas sweater, I knew she wasn't long for this world. And sadly, her death closes out Halloween Kills in a subtle message of what happens when Christmas interferes with the Halloween holiday. We need to talk about Anthony Michael Hall as Tommy Doyle. Without a doubt, the most annoying character. I feel like his dialogue was simply just cutting and pasting the phrase, Evil Dies Tonight. You can ask him any question and his answer would be, Evil Dies Tonight. Hey, uh, wanna see a movie? Evil Dies Tonight. Hey, uh, you hungry? Evil dies tonight. I have work in the morning. You come in the bed? Evil dies tonight. I can see they used him and his hero complex to incite the Hattonfield mob, but it's repetitiously obnoxious. Michael Myers is once again an amalgamation of different actors. James Jude Courtney returns as the contemporary physical embodiment of Myers. Nicholas Cage was... Uh, Nicholas Cage... Nick Castle was on set as a Myers coach of sorts. Stuntman Aaron Armstrong played Myers in the 1978 sequence and managed to perfectly channel Nick Castle's portrayal of the shape. This time around, I found myself having a Frankenstein monster sympathy for him. He's got an entire town after him. The events that are happening are not his fault, but the actions of his doctor. Seeing him get attacked and assaulted by the citizens of Hattonfield only made me want to cheer for him. Halloween Kills would safely rank in my top five for the series. The original Halloween would be number one, Halloween 3 is an easy number two, and not the number two you're probably thinking of. 
Halloween 2018 would be my number three. Halloween Kills would be number four. As for number five, well, that's the hard part. Um, I, okay, I guess we'll have to go with Halloween 2, the 13th, Michael Strikes Back. Just because I really like Dick Warlock as Michael Myers. He alone made that film more tolerable than any of the other in- entries in the series. folks, Mackenzie Lambert here, host for Mech in the Movies, joined by my good friend and colleague, John Cleveland. Hi, everybody. Uh, for this episode of The Three Tenors, uh, we're still recording this before Halloween, so we're going to kind of keep with the horror movie theme. Uh, this time it's going to be comedy horror movies. One of my favorite sub-genres. Mm-hmm. Oh, yep. Uh, just a whole lot of classics, especially when it comes to the 80s, which I think might be the prime decade of the horror comedy. You'd be surprised how many came out after that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right, let's go ahead and see first what Rob Hill's introduction is for the comedy horrors uh, category. What at first might seem an illogical blend of genres makes some sense when you consider how much more palatable horror can be and therefore how much further you can push it when tempered with humor. These movies have to work as horror and conform to the tropes associated with horror comedy, so the likes of Young Frankenstein or The Cat and the Canary Though brilliance don't fit the criteria. Disagree. I do too as well. <laughs> okay, so let's go ahead and let's see here first uh, for Mr. Hill's list. Number 10, Severance, which I actually thought was a decent British horror slasher comedy. Yeah, I don't... That one is like 80% slasher and... Mm-hmm. Uh, Sorry, 90% slasher and 10% yeah. comedy? Yep. But, okay. Yep. And I think the, what was it, the Joe Bob formula is like 80% horror and 20% comedy. But That is his. It's not mine. Yeah, not mine but yeah. yes. Yeah. <laughs> All right, number nine. Uh, Piranha, or as Christopher Lee correctly pronounced it once, Piranha. Piranha. <laughs> yeah. uh, Imagine telling Christopher Lee, we need you to pr- mispronounce this word. Yes. <laughs> Uh, James Cameron uh, worked as a uh, assistant director on that, and he directed the sequel Piranha Two, yep. starring a younger Lance Henriksen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I like it. Again, I feel that that movie though, like I don't even consider it a comedy. Like it's a five percent comedy in that mm-hmm. one. Like it's, I mean, it's a it's a Jaws knockoff. But yeah. I don't really, I think it. it I didn't even include it in my honorable mentions because it's really I consider it just a horror film. Yep. Okay, uh, hey, number eight. Cabin in the Woods. Which, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's, it's uh, probably the most notable horror comedy recently, although it definitely leans a lot harder to a dark comedy, which mm-hmm. is still horror yeah. comedy. Yeah. It just is a mean-spirited horror comedy. And it does a clever job of kind of mixing that uh, office shenanigans mm-hmm. of, like, office space, but with uh, horror of, like, Evil Dead. And yeah. Just that closing climax when all the creatures are unleashed is just... Yeah. Absolutely amazing. Merman. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's great stuff. Okay, yeah. number seven, Shaun of the Dead. Only number seven? Yeah. Okay. And considering he's British, I'm a little surprised at that too. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm I'm interested in what's what's mm-hmm. coming, but yeah, Shaun of the Dead, uh, yeah. 
will definitely be high on my list. It's uh, it's yeah, one of the greatest horror comedies of all time. I gotta be honest, I like the first half, and then it just kind of turns into every other zombie movie ever made. But that first half is still really brilliant. Sure. Uh, okay. Ah, uh, actually, let me see if this one's on my, not my list because I'm gonna feel bad if it's not. Uh oh. Okay, okay, it's on my list. Never mind. Okay. Uh oh. Spoiler alert, but yeah, Brain Dead, aka Dead or Dead, dead alive. alive. Yep. Yep. Uh, Peter Jackson, before he was directing Hobbits, made one of the goriest, funniest horror movies ever made. <laughs> maybe one of the goriest <laughs> I mean I only know that to be true because I go in some really obscure film like little trances but like I would love to see a list of films you think are gorier than Dead Alive mm-hmm. we're pretty still knee deep in blood <laughs> and I think it was what like uh, 500 gallons for the lawnmower they so. ran out yeah. they had to film other scenes later because the country ran out of fake blood <laughs> Uh, oh, number five. Okay, this is this is your uh, pretentious pick. Okay. It's Italian pretentious, too. Oh. So, <laughs> Cemetery Man, a.k.a. Delamorte Delamore. That is a... I'm, that movie almost defies um, genre, mm-hmm. so I'll accept that it's a horror comedy, but that movie is... I'll, there's a lot going on. I like it, mm-hmm. but I am fully aware that Every time I tell somebody, hey, you should watch this, I'm going to let you know you're not going to like it. Mm. It's a weird sell. Yeah. It's a very odd movie. It's ending will... So far, all my friends I've shown it to piss them right off. Mm. So, I like it, but yeah, it's... I guess you could see it as a comedy. Yeah. All right. It's Yeah, it's kind of like The Lobster, where it's just a very dry sense of humor. It's dry, it's weird, mm-hmm. and you either get it and kind of go with it, or you don't, and yep. you don't. It's a hard line. Um, for the rest of us, there's Anna Falachi, so... Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Okay. Number four. Reanimator. Of course this has to be on your list. <laughs> what part of Reanimator's funny? There's a lot of inappropriate jokes, but that's not really... I don't view that as a comedy at all. I get that some might, though, but I totally do not see that as... It wasn't written as a comedy... Any jokes are from dark humor or character work, mm-hmm. not... So I disagree on that being a comedy <laughs> at all. Strongly disagree. All right, number three. Scream. Although, that's... It's, it's only comedic. Yeah, yeah, like... I don't... Did I miss, like, a book about what comedy is? Because me and him do not <laughs> think comedy is the same thing, apparently. Satire is comedy, I'll give him that, mm-hmm. but... Scream isn't, it's a, it's, it's, it, it's a breakdown of the, the slasher genre. It's not a comedy. The one or two comedic elements are to point out the stupidity of the logic involved in these moments. Not, not that you're supposed to be laughing. I don't see Scream as a comedy. I guess I can maybe see where somebody says it is though, but okay. Yeah. Okay, all right. This this has got to be a no brainer. Number two, Evil Dead Two. Perfect. Um, yep. No argument to be had. It's on my list. Mm-hmm. My favorite of the Evil Dead trilogy. Yep. And last but not least, number one, An American Werewolf in London. Okay. Yeah. yeah. See, I that that is one that I could see somebody arguing that's not a comedy, but I think it is. Yeah. Oh yeah. That's a that's a Griffin Dunn as the uh, gradually decomposing ghost zombie. That's, yes. It's Part of it's a dark comedy, though. I will say that it's more than a 
you know, because it's definitely mean spirited. It's got me. Remember that whole character's point is you should kill yourself so I can like not be rotten. Mm-hmm. So, but yeah, it's got some comedic elements. You could even, I mean, the, the transformation scene, the greatest in film history. Oh yeah, is to a song which is not should not go with that scene because it's supposed to be off putting. Mm-hmm. But like I've also sat through that before and had a friend laugh, <laughs> so like I get it. All right, so okay. uh, I say overall, Rob Hill actually didn't do too bad of a job. I disagree. This is <laughs> this is not my least favorite of his lists, but this is close because mm-hmm. I think about half of his lists I just don't think should be on a list. <laughs> I don't view them as comedies. So, all right, John. Now that uh, you've talked yourself, yeah. <laughs> so let's see what you've got. All right, so. <laughs> I mean, I could sit here all day, but this was a very hard list because, again, horror mm-hmm. comedies are one of my favorite subgenres, if not my favorite subgenre. Um, I have, like, my honorable mentions are like three pages long. I'm not going to do that to you, but. <laughs> I've seen them. Believe yes. me, they are three pages long. But I've narrowed it down, but I will let you know there are some omissions on here that I it just wish I had 11 choices or 12 choices. Like,. Mm-hmm. Dead Alive isn't on my list, Ooh. and I desperately want it to be. But I'm sorry, I like these other ones, these ten more. It's just how it is. So with that, this is one I. This is my least, probably least known, but I love it to death. Number ten, lesbian vampire killers. Sometimes we just market it as vampire killers because <laughs> drop that title of thing. It's a British film. It stars... Um, who's the guy from uh, the karaoke in the car with the celebrities? Oh, James Corden? James Corden. It's a James Corden before he was famous. So he's not annoying. It's a James Corden before he was famous. <laughs> I don't find him that annoying in the movie, but I could get it that he is. It's just... It's the whole premise of the movie. Him and a buddy are in a rut, but his girlfriend just dumped him. They need to go somewhere. They end up going to this little village and thing that's dealing with a vampire, a lesbian vampire curse. Because that's funny. And they just have to deal with it. And it's just... It's it's British comedy, but it's not a dry British comedy. Mm-hmm. It's also not absurd British comedy. So it just... It, I mean, it's a little absurd. I'll give you that. But, like, it works. And it's hilarious. And <laughs> it's so fun. It's just so much fun. And it's a vampire. It's lesbian vampires. Like, it's, it's a horror movie, but, like, it's just... It's hilarious. I highly suggest it. I think I picked it up for $5 at Walmart. Um, you can get it online for about the same. It's it's well worth a watch. Number nine. Elvira, Mistress of the Night. Mm. Big fan of Elvira. She's hilarious. She's great. I think she should have been in way more movies. Her comedic timing is yeah. excellent. She's not bad to look at either. Nope. Um, and for her age, still. Oh, she, the woman doesn't age. It's, nope. it's amazing. Um, I've met her in person, too, at a con. She's just as the same person. She wasn't... She was... Norm, she wasn't dressed up mm-hmm. as Elvira, but she's she's hilarious. Um, but yeah, this movie's just great. Um, it's that great fish out of water yeah. like film, and I, it's really a, a nice lambasting of Reagan era. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but no, just so, a, so one of my favorite lines. What? How's how's your head? I haven't anything. <laughs> yeah. It's, yeah, no, it's just a great movie. <laughs> so many like jokes that are not appropriate for. The 13-year-olds the movie was marketed at. And they got away with the PG rating, so... Somehow. <laughs> yeah, it's just... It's one where if you've never actually seen it, watch it. It's yeah. If you know who Elvira is, you'll enjoy it. 
Number eight, and you're going to hate me for this because it's only number eight, Ghostbusters. Oh, oh, yeah. I I don't, I like it. I love uh -huh. Ghostbusters. Not, I don't have that, like two or three of my friends you're included are, it's the greatest comedy of all time. Mm -hmm. I disagree. It's good. I don't have faults with it. I have mm -hmm. nothing negative to say about the movie. But I just like some other comedies more. It is my outside favorite movie, but here's it, a spoiler. It's not on my list just because I associate it with so many other things and not just as a horror and comedy. That's fair. I almost took it out because mm -hmm. I do really like it and everything, but I, I generally, like, it has some horrific moments. Yeah. The, the, not just the jump scares, the, 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 the whole, like, demonic possession mm -hmm. angle, that's not presented as a comedy element no. at all. She is terrifying. It is a terrifying moment. Like, it's got some legitimately good scares in it. Mm -hmm. It's also hilarious. Yeah. So, it's a, you know, comedy horror. Uh, number seven, a movie I just think is better than Ghostbusters, The Addams Family. Yeah, that's that's another thing, too, where it's like, I I think too much as a comedy and not with the horror stuff. That's just me personally. The, that's why I, I definitely would agree that it is just a comedy. There mm -hmm. aren't really any horror elements to it, per se. But it is a you know, I'm sure it's a comedy yeah. adventure family, blah, 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 blah. Or, I kind of like the sequel more, too, just because you've got no. Joan Cusack. Just the sequel's <laughs> fun, but it's it's an inserior film, in my yeah. opinion. But I'm just, it's great character work is really what drives that oh, movie. Oh, yeah, Aurel Julia. Uh, that's Christopher, um, Christopher uh, Lloyd. Lloyd. Um, yeah, like every... Angelica Houston, Houston. is Morticia. Uh, Wednesday. Um, why can't Christine I think Ritchie. of... Because yep. everyone in that movie yeah. is great. Um, I just, I'm a gigantic fan. It's a movie, th there's a certain, and it's weird, they're not always my favorite either. They're just certain movies that get like a, a gold star for mm -hmm. me, and I can watch, you can put it on, I watch it ten times in a day, and I'm not bored with it. Adam Sandler is one of those movies. A little bit of trivia. There was a TurboGrafx-16 game where you played as Lewis Tully fighting against the Adams Family. Really? Yes. Because I've played Fester's Quest... Mm -hmm. And there's there was a ton of when the movie came out. Yeah, yeah, family. You yeah. always played Gomez, but yeah. the TurboGrafx-16, you fought against the Adams family. That's weird. <laughs> all right. For all those people who ever wanted to play as Danny Hedaya, there you go. <laughs> his IMDb page and his, his Wikipedia page need to be updated. Was a main character in a video game. No more details are going to be yeah. explained. Hey, I ain't a main character in a video game. Good for uh, him. Yep. Um, number six, um, I wanted this to be... Higher, just so it can say it, busted my top ten, mm -hmm. or top five. But being in the top ten is fine, and it's a brand new movie. This is a movie from 2020, okay. Psycho Goreman. Uh, yeah. The best movie yeah. I saw in 2020. Arguably the best thing that came out of that year. Mm -hmm. uh, movie's hilarious. Uh, made by the... Estron uh, 6. Estron 6, yep. uh, uh, a group who produced some films with help from Troma, but they have separated. They do not agree with Troma. I, I'm not going into that whole yeah. detail with that, but... Um, they've made some great films. They made uh, a couple of the guys who worked on Astron Six or part of Astron Six made The Void, which is one of the best horror. Oh yeah, the Void films was made really in the last good. couple of years. Yeah. Um, but no, Psycho Gorman, hilarious yes. film. If you haven't seen it, I'm going to sell it to you, or you're going to never want to watch it based on what I'm about to say. But here you go. Imagine if Guar directed a Power Rangers movie with a little bit of ET, with a, little, with a touch of ET. Yep. So there you go. If that doesn't sound hilarious <laughs> to you or amazing and you need to watch it, I can't sell it to you more. Mm -hmm. It's just a hilariously great film. I highly suggest it. Um, top five. Number five. What We Do in the Shadows. Yep. Yeah. It's just hilarious. Um, 
I wanted to do include it. Uh, we did another list about vampires. Yep. I wanted to include in this, so I, I couldn't not. It's hilarious. I, I don't know how many times I've watched it. It gets funnier every time I see it. It's so funny. I still debate, is it funnier than the show? And the show's really funny. <laughs> so, um, number four. Ask, I'm, I'm going to tell you right now. Two, three, and four. Ask me tomorrow. They're in a different <laughs> order. So, this is just how it was when I wrote it down. Number four is Evil Dead 2. Oh, yeah. In my opinion, the best mm-hmm. of the series, because it's... The first one tried to be a horror film. Are yeah, these moments of absurdity... It kind of pushed it over the edge too yeah. far, or not far enough, depending on your opinion. Mm-hmm. E- Evil Dead 2 is written as a comedy yep. horror. And it just... Everything about that you know about Ash is from the second one. Yeah. The double-barreled, the chainsaw hand. The all of that comes... Yep. Yeah, all the one-liners. It all comes from 2. It's such a great movie. I watch it around every Halloween. I plan on doing the same this year. <laughs> Number three, Tucker and Dale vs. Evil. Yep, yep, yep. <laughs> An infinitely quotable film, not nearly enough human beings seen it. I have a personal, my copy is signed by Alan Tudyk. It's amazing. If you haven't seen it, I'm going to just give you a, a minute. Just imagine a, you know, group of kids going to the woods and get killed by these two, like, red, couple rednecks in the woods movie. Now imagine that movie from the standpoint of the rednecks, and they're not crazy killers, that's the only thing I need to tell you. It's also a comedy, and it's hilarious. And it does not skip on the gore. No. He's really heavy for a dead guy. <laughs> <laughs> I can't even... There's too many quotes that would ruin the film. I can't even go into it, but it's hilarious. Number two, and again, this this is one of those that could be anywhere, but number two, Shaun of the Dead. Mm-hmm. I love it to death. I think it's... The only reason I don't think it's their best film together is because I think Hot Fuzz is oh, just yeah. a little bit Same better. But Fuzz. Shaun of the Dead is amazing. That scene where he's walking to the mart and the, the not, zombies are all around. He, him he doesn't know. Oblivious is one of the best scenes in film history. I honestly believe so. It's so good. Every you've heard about the movie a thousand times. I'm not going to go into yeah. detail, but it's amazing. Um, and number one, if you've been paying attention, you should know what it is. Because I called him out for voting from his list. Young Frankenstein. Yeah. Yep. Again, I get it's not really any horror in this. It's just a comedy, but still, it's one of the greatest comedies of all time. The comedy is from the fact that they take the universal stuff seriously. Yes. That's, that's where... Yes. Yep. It's, it's just hilarious. It's one of the most quotable movies of all time. I could watch it a thousand times, and I probably have. And it's, Said it's, again? <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's so good. <laughs> it's just amazing. It's mm-hmm. my favorite Mel Brooks movie. It's my favorite Gene Wilder movie. It's just, it's so, so good. And again, I, I get that it's maybe not a horror at all, but I don't care. Mm-hmm. So, but that's my list. Um... I'll do my honorable mentions at the end. Okay. Because I have a few. A few, quote unquote. I'll, I'll, rest, <laughs> I'll restrict it. All right, all right. Starting off with my list, uh, number 10 Fangs of the Living Dead. Uh, this is from the same director who gave us the Blind Dead series, Amanda de Osorio. It starts out as a serious vampire movie, but then when you're introduced to a character, I forgot what his name is, it's like Fritz or something like that, then it becomes a comedy because here's this village horn dog who is trying to get the female vampires that are trying to seduce him, oh, but he's teasing them on. 
This is Fearless Vampire Killers, but without the presence of Roman Polanski. Okay. Mm -hmm. Okay. I haven't seen it, so I can't mm -hmm. talk about it, but it's interesting. Yeah. <laughs> All right. uh, okay, number nine, Young Frankenstein. As long as it's on your list. Yep. Uh, I grew up on the Universal Monsters. They were my first taste of horror, and clearly they were for Mel Brooks, because oh, this is just a letter of love. Yeah. All right. Number eight, Behind the Mask, The Rise of Leslie Vernon. How is this a comedy? <laughs> it's similar to Scream, only it takes the docudrama Christopher Guest approach. Here you see a slasher becoming a slasher character. You've got Robert England as the Sam Loomis Donald Pleasance character, which was pretty good. You have all these little things that the killer puts into the town around him to sort of manipulate the person to become the final girl. Okay, I'll I'll give you that it's like two percent comedy. Mm -hmm. Although maybe it's just I'm it's that subtle straight comedy that I just apparently maybe I'm just immune to based on what I'm hearing. But I I, I thought about that and I actually saw it on uh, online like one this is a great modern uh, horror comedy and I'm like I don't see it as a comedy. <laughs> Okay. Okay, well, here's number seven. Troll Hunter. Same. I don't <laughs> really? see it as a comedy. <laughs> the only comedic parts of it I see are from the just the, the sheer cultural differences between us and that. Uh, was it Finland? Mm -hmm. Yeah, Finland, Norway, around there. Yeah. yeah. I like how we just occasionally... Two different countries, it doesn't matter. Yeah. They're basically the same thing to us. <laughs> Stupid Americans. Uh, Canada and America are basically the same, right? Yeah. Um... So like, yeah, I don't, I, I don't know. I the, hu the humor is. I do see the, the I logic. Do, yeah, I was gonna say I do see it as more of a comedy than than Vernon, Vernon yeah. for example, or Scream or something like that. So again, five percent. Yeah. The, the, the humor over the fact, okay, if she's a Muslim, are they still gonna smell her blood? Yeah, like <laughs> it, again, it does, it does, it does mess with the trope, like. And it's a funnier trope than vampires, per se. So, I get it. I'll, yeah. I'll give you that. Yeah, and that's fair. One of the great visual gags is the guy who has these huge bear paw prints that he uses as a way of misdirecting any civilians that might come yeah. and look around. But then they look at the paw prints and they're like, the, the bear is walking cross-legged. Yes. Yes. <laughs> so. No, it's it's a, it's a, also a great... If you've mm -hmm. never seen it, I highly yeah. suggest it. And it's the movie I say, hey, if you don't like found footage, give this movie a try. Yeah, that's true. Mm -hmm. It's a fair point. Okay, number six. Dead Alive. No, 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 no like I said, yeah. if you gave me 11 choices, it would be there, but <laughs> mm -hmm. I had to make a line. <laughs> okay, number five. Uh, I'm a little surprised this wasn't on your list. Tremors. I do not view Tremors oh. in any way as a comedy. <laughs> Having a, Okay, so here's something I'm beginning to just completely have a problem with. If one character makes a joke in your movie, is it a comedy? Citizens Kane's a comedy because there's a joke in it. Like, no. Well, the whole movie is just a giant it's... vagina joke, so. Oh, God. No, it isn't. <laughs> like, there are so many other horror Rosebud movies. Rosebud was the nickname that. I get I, yeah. I'm just saying that, like. Like, I do not. First off, Tremors, it, it, I don't know if we've done a list in the past, but mm -hmm. Tremors is, like, one of my favorite horror films of all time mm -hmm. with a bullet. Top three guaranteed. <laughs> just, I do not see it as a comedy. I see like there's a they use jokes. Uh, Fred Ward and Kevin Bacon's characters use jokes um, to like cement the bond they have between each other. But like I don't view that as comedy. I view that as character work. Michael Gross and uh, Reba McIntyre is kind of the the joke on the whole gun nut I, survivalist. I, the, I, maybe it's because I grew up in the countries and that's one hundred percent accurate. 
not a comedic thing to me. Like, I know people that are daily talk about, like, anytime there's anything happening with the government, they talk about moving to the middle of nowhere, like, mm-hmm. like Pleasant, um, uh, and, and doing that. So, like, I don't know. I don't view that as a comedy at all. Like, this is just another one. Again, I'm beginning to think something <laughs> wrong with me. So. All right. Okay, number four. Tucker and Dale versus Evil. No argument. Yep. It's amazing. I think this, what Kevin and Woods does, this movie just does so much better, I think. Oh, yeah, 100%. I think it's a far superior to film to Kevin and Woods. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 100%. Okay, number three. Evan and Costello meet Frankenstein. I knew it would be on your list somewhere. Mm-hmm. I just yep. was wondering which Evan <laughs> and Costello. I was like, is it... Is it, is it is it Frankenstein? Is it the mummy? Is it Dracula? Which one is it? No, but, yeah. uh, the mummy was kind of at their end. Uh, there was also Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, but honestly, the Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde movie, Warner Brothers cartoons did a much better job with the sure. stuff they do in that sure. one. But yeah. I knew this one of those. Mm-hmm. You had to sneak your... My grandpa really liked this one. And yeah. uh, if, it wasn't, if it wasn't Ghostbusters, it was Evan Custom Frankenstein. I would rent pretty much every weekend from the library. I think my mom paid so much in late fees for that movie, <laughs> I could just may as well just bought it. Sure. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. Okay, here we are again. Number two, I have Reanimator. <laughs> I just don't see it. I just just name a joke. Na- name a part that's funny in that. Head given a head. That that's a sexually <laughs> so so it's a it's a sick cruel joke but you do know that's a sexually aggressive act that's meant to be or yeah. the most horrific thing that the filmmaker could possibly mm-hmm. have come up with, like other than the mount the undead headless body mounting her like I do not see that as a funny moment in film, it's a funny joke to make mm-hmm. sure but like like the only joke I can imagine that you could ever argue in that is when um cat dead details later. Not even that one because I think that's a more he's to show that he's doesn't he truly has no caring about mm-hmm. the cat. I think the only joke that I could see the moment I could see somebody going okay this is has comedic element is what are you gonna do? You're a uh, head in a uh, box. Here you are, Tristan, yeah. with a bubble-headed co-ed. <laughs> yeah, get a uh, job in a side show. show. Like that's the only thing I do not see Reanimator as a comedy in the slightest. More, I guess, than Tremors, but still, I just... Again, maybe something's wrong with me. I'm not seeing these things. <laughs> and last but not least, my number one is Evil Dead 2. Wait, Ghostbusters is not your number? I associate it... I, oh, that's right, we talked of, about yeah, this. Too yeah. much, I see it too much as a comedy, and there's just so many other different elements, whether it's science fiction, uh, screwball comedy, you've yeah. got kaiju, you've got... Sure, okay, okay. It's diluted so much you don't even see it yeah. as a horror. And I get that, okay. Mm-hmm. But it, obviously, Evil Dead 2 is a great... Oh, yeah. I'm not going to argue that at all. It's a, it's amazing. And people talk about Bruce Campbell. Not enough people talk about Ted Raimi as the possessed Henrietta. Oh, yeah, Ted's He's, amazing. Because yeah. <laughs> oh, I, I have uh, Bruce's signature mm-hmm. on my copy of Evil Dead 2. I, I, I don't have Ted's because when I went to the con that they were both at... Yeah. He just so happened to have gotten up for lunch, like, three people in front of me, and it was a physical impossibility, like, because of a thousand other things I had going on, I could not, like, come back after. Mm -hmm. And it bothered me because later that day, when we were just about to leave the con, like, everything was in our hands, we're walking towards the parking lot, we pass him, he stops, like, three feet from me to tie his shoe, and I'm like, Ted, you're awesome! And he goes, you're awesome. And he just goes, I'm like, this is amazing. (laughs) But no, yeah, Evil Dead 2's uh, uh, just beautiful, 
in it's perfectly balanced between that that comedy and the the horrific uh, elements. And just even on a typical level, this is Sam Raimi finally getting his kinetic style perfected. Yep. Yeah, I remember is it like when I was first introduced to the Evil Dead series in high school, we watched the first two. And I just remember watching the first one, and then my friend's like, I'm like, well, what happens in the second one? It seems like a complete kind of story. And they're like, well, it's basically the first one again, yep. with a slightly different ending. I'm like, why Why would we want to watch this? And it really underwhelmed me, but I'm like, this one's funnier. Yeah. Like, it's it's a weird thing. New Line wouldn't let them use the footage, yeah. so they had to do a little mini recap, and then they finally get into the new movie. And It's just really interesting. It's just this, it's... <laughs> It's a very, very good film, and I've said it before, and I will say it again, the Evil Dead trilogy is probably the best trilogy of all time outside of Lord of the Rings. Yeah, yeah. So, but they were, Lord of the Rings, you could even argue, isn't a trilogy, it's one movie, mm -hmm. just in three volumes, yep. but that's a different thing. And I would say Godfather, but that third movie just yeah. takes such a nose guy. And I will but, point out that I am a strong proponent. The Godfather 3 is not a horrible film. Mm -hmm. It's simply an okay film, it's just such a step down from yeah. the first two. But yeah, I think that The Evil Dead is actually the greatest trilogy mm -hmm. besides Lord of the Rings yes. of all time. I will agree with that, yeah. So Okay, so those were our lists for uh, comedy horrors, horror comedies. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what a horror comedy is anymore, apparently. <laughs> the world made sense five minutes ago. Yeah, it doesn't make sense anymore. I have to go cry now. So yeah, feel free to let us know what your favorite horror comedies are, even if they are reanimated. Yeah, I want some, no, no, I want somebody in the comments to explain to me how some of these movies like Reanimator and Tremors are comedies. Please, write a dissertation. Put links in. I need this information. Somebody's going to be like, The Thing. John Carpenter's The Thing. That's a great comedy. Remember that time he goes, what the hell is that? Or, you got to be fucking kidding me. That's yeah, a funny joke. The whole movie's too. a comedy, right? Yeah. I don't get it. I don't know what's going on. I don't know what to do with my hands. Yeah, uh, Wolf of Brimley just going on a diabetes fit. Yeah, Wolf of Brimley's, <laughs> yeah, Wolf of Brimley's in that movie. It's obviously funny. <laughs> I don't know. I simply do not know. Uh, oh, that's, uh, this is fun, actually, surprisingly. Uh, all right, so those are our selections. Feel free to let your... Wait, this was fun for you? It's horrific <laughs> for me. It's the perfect. It's a horror comedy. Uh, okay, I think that's. I think we've we've hit the point. We gotta stop here for now. One hundred percent. Yeah. Okay. So this is uh, Mackenzie Lambert signing off, along with John Cleveland. A very confused John yeah. Cleveland. <laughs> Have a good night, folks. And that wraps up this episode of Mac and the Movies. Thanks for listening. Feel free to share your thoughts on the Halloween series. As I've said repeatedly, I'll cover the Rob Zombie Halloween for an episode on horror remakes. Next time I'm making the movies, I'll be taking a look at a few films that sprung from moral panic in the 1930s. Headlining will be the marijuana classic Reefer Madness, followed by Assassin of Youth, The Devil's Sleep, Sex Maniac, and Protect Your Daughters. This should be fun for all the wrong reasons. That episode will drop either on the 13th or 14th of November, plus there will be a new digital copy giveaway from Paramount Pictures. If you like this content and would like to see the program grow, sharing this podcast will be an immense help. If you're watching a movie set in the late 70s, early 80s, New York City, and there's a scene on 42nd Street, if you're one to pause to see what's on the marquee, then you're exactly who this podcast is for. Help spread the word of the show. I do have a PayPal or Venmo as tip jars. Support the media you watch or listen to. Spread the word or chip in a buck or two. You can find me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. I'm on Twitch and YouTube. Links in the description. 
Until then, this is Mackenzie Lambert for Mac and the Movies, signing off. Thank you.